The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, politics, and disturbing sexual imagery, and it's very, very long. Saturday, the 30th of October, 2021. Thank you, dear listener. Thanks to you. This is the first episode of the Spring Series this year. Uh, Our guest today is Justin Warren, a friend of the pod, who suggested I describe him as a consultant, freedom of information tragic, hexagon enthusiast, and creator of the cyber rating, trademark, labelling scheme. Short man, long podcast. Yeah, we settled in for a long chat on Wednesday afternoon and discussed things like governments trying to control encryption. Controlling encryption is a lot like controlling underwear. Um, There are certain people who want you to wander around constantly nude. We agreed on the cause of all the world's problems. Um, The problem is always humans and we've been around for quite some time. And we took an unexpected excursion into some personal matters. I remember in about year 10, I was ready to throw in the towel and I like I hated the place and wanted to leave and you could leave at 16 and I I was actually giving that serious consideration because I was so uh, thoroughly sick of playing the game. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. This is the 9pm double length rights and freedoms philosophical dreamscape with Justin Warren. Oh, and uh, listen up for the zebra. Justin Warren, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. Now, obviously, we're going to talk about all the things you're interested in, but uh, look, I know you're not a climate scientist, but I do think we have to start this conversation with Australia's brand new climate plan. Australians understand and they support the need to take action on climate change. So do I. So does our government. I know this because Australians and our government are already taking action on climate change and we're already delivering. We're already down the path. Australia has already achieved more than a 20% reduction in our emissions since 2005. Australia has already achieved the highest rate of rooftop solar in the world. Australia has already has a rate of installation of renewable energy that is eight times per capita faster than New Zealand and Japan and three times faster than the United States and the EU and Germany specifically. Australia has already met and beat our Kyoto 2020 targets. And indeed, Australia will beat and meet our 2030 targets as well. Australians' actions on climate change speak louder than the words of others. The thing that that immediately reminds me of is that uh, the musical act Godly and Cream, who were part of half of the band 10CC, released an album a triple concept album called Consequences, Mm. which included in the middle this ridiculously complex and pretentious audio play about the war between the elements of nature and whatever. But one of the characters shouted, 
Words, that's all they are. They're just words. What we need are actions. Actions speak louder than I do. (laughs) And (laughs) that's what struck me is Morrison then, a lot of words, but not much action in this plan. Did you you look at it at all or just... I I have uh, made a conscious decision to pay as little attention to Scott Morrison as I possibly can. Um, I have found that this serves me well in terms of uh, valuing my time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, look, I I made a decision a long time ago that he, most of what comes out of his mouth is either, um, it's it's bollocks, um, mendaciousness, bullshit, or possibly lies. It doesn't really matter. Um, he can be safely ignored. That's the thing I've noticed about some of the reporting on this is that people are saying, oh, wow, he's, he's, he's made it happen by it being made some sort of unspecified deal with the National Party so that it all doesn't fall apart at least in the next two weeks or until he's back from COP26 in Glasgow or whatever. And that seems to me to completely miss the point of what the plan is meant to be or indeed what reporting on the success or otherwise of the Prime Minister is meant to be. Well, the only plan that I can figure out that exists is to be re-elected again and everything relates to that. Everyone seems to have forgotten that there's a a one-seat majority since the election. It was like, oh, he wasn't expected to win at all and barely scraped through by the skin of his teeth. And mm-hmm. for the last God knows how many years, too long, it's, uh, it's been like he's some kind of genius with a, a massive um, amount of, of leeway between him and being kicked out. He's not. He's one, all that needs to happen is one person decides that they don't want to play with him anymore and Labor runs the place. That to me, defines what happens. Like the, all of the actions are all geared around trying to keep everybody, all the all the nutcases, happy, because any one of them and could walk. Is, uh, plenty of them, and and that's it. There's plenty of them, and they are all lining up to get their hands and feet and mouths and every orifice possible um, in the trough as fast as they can, because they're all terrified that they won't get another go. Well, this is. Uh a fairly orifice-oriented podcast. I will just mention a couple of the reactions to the plan. Um, laughable is is one that comes through. Uh, the, I think that's from the Climate Council chief. Uh, a joke. Um, Labor leader Anthony Albanese, uh, who has yet to have a target of its own, but so what? They're not the government, so they don't need to have a target. Uh, he said the Prime Minister announced a vibe today rather than a target. Uh, Last-minute commitment in the New York Times, built on a hope for new technology and little else. New York Times again. Actually, on that technology point, here is here is uh, another grab where where Morrison was was challenged about this assumption that forty percent of our savings of, of emissions will come from technology, and then another fifteen percent will be from global technology trends, whatever they are, and then another fifteen percent will be from further technology breakthroughs. 
I mean, if we're going to sit here and think we know everything that's going to happen between now and 2050, well, of course, that's, I mean, you're not suggesting that. I don't think anyone else is suggesting that. What, I mean, if we don't think there's been a rapid development in technology on, you know, handheld devices in the last 10 years, then we must have been, someone must have been living on a different planet um, to the rest of us. That rate of technological advance is a given. It is actually a given in the modern world. And we've seen it in our own lives. We've seen it in the way that it's revolutionised the, con the, the economy globally. And to not think that that is going to play a role over the next 30 years, that would be, I think, the more surprising assumption. Not the assumption that says that here are a suite of technologies which account for 40% under our technology investment roadmap, a further 15% that are established global technology trends. Established. And then assuming on top of that, that 15% will come from the evolution and uh, the momentum that is generated by those earlier technological developments. That is what has happened time immemorial, time immemorial. That is a very safe, it's probably one of the safest assumptions you can make, that uh, the rapid escalation of technology will continue to drive these costs down. Um, anyone who walked into any JB Hi-Fi store anywhere in the country today and when they walked in there five years ago will know the change in the price of what they were buying today to what it was five years ago. And the increase in its capacity and its, and its capabilities and all of those things. That is the world we know. This is a plan for the world that we know and where it's heading. I can imagine like a Victorian era Prime Minister shouting, what about the pandemic? Well, steam. We have steam. Steam has seen everything improve. More steam. That'll solve it. Well, clearly the answer is uh, nuclear-powered techno beans. Oh, techno beans. Yes. Well, look, you have worked with various startups over your time, Justin. Various, various companies that I'm sure uh, have graphs that forever go up and to the right showing revenue in the same way that our carbon emissions chart goes down and to the right because that's the good direction in this case. With stuff just made up, is this a new phenomenon? Well, clearly not. Um, the problem is always humans and we've been around for quite some time. I have stickers you can buy, humans ruining everything since forever. Mm. Um, yes, human behaviour continues to, um, well, I don't know, amaze people who have apparently never met any before, which I, is the part I find astounding. Um, no, it's, it's, it's not really any different. You know, yes, new technologies will exist, but, I mean, Australia's economy is still based on extracting primary minerals out of the ground and flogging it off to someone else who makes something useful and interesting with it. And I wonder, too, when they talk about Australia's, you know, manufacturing sector, I feel, I, I feel like they still think it's about building Holden cars in Elizabeth in South Australia or washing machines or something. There isn't a sense that manufacturing is not that kind of stuff necessarily anymore. Yes, well, these people are deeply incurious about the world around them, it seems. Um, you know, the, the lucky country was correct. I've heard yes. that somewhere before, yes. Yes, they are. I forget the exact quote out of it, but I have found that to be incredibly true about Australia generally. I'm sure you can insert the specific quote. 
Australia is a lucky country run mainly by second-rate people who share its luck. It lives on other people's ideas, and although its ordinary people are adaptable, most of its leaders in all fields so lack curiosity about the events that surround them that they are often taken by surprise. Yes, I think that uh, remains accurate. Uh, also taken by surprise uh, yesterday, or earlier this week, as you're listening to this, dear listener, uh, the Nationals leader in the Senate, Senator Bridget McKenzie, uh, well, she was up before estimates, and uh, Christina Keneally uh, really, really had some questions for her, which she could not answer. I'm asking this minister, who is the leader of the Nationals in the Senate, if this document was finalised and printed after the Nationals party room if on I, Sunday. I haven't seen that document, to be honest. Senator you haven't Keneally. seen I'm, this I'm document? Actually in, I'm actually Well, you're waving a bit of blue paper. This is the around. Prime Minister's plan I've released been in today. This is the Prime Minister's plan released by the Prime Minister today. It is the Liberal and National Party government's plan. And how is it the Agreed National's plan? Agreed to by both political parties. You haven't seen it and you can't guarantee by the that National it wasn't Party printed. How do you know it's in the plan? You just said you haven't seen I- it. <laughs> I mean, that last point is a little clipped off there, sorry. It's a powerful argument. How can you know what's in the plan? Because you're saying you haven't seen it. Well, that's easy if there's nothing in the plan. Ah, I suppose so. I was also reminded today uh, that back in Dubai in 2016, Greg Hunt, who at the time was the uh, minister responsible for these things, was awarded the inaugural Best Minister in the World Award by a chap who, um, I, I think that's the, uh, oh, is it a, a Emir or Sultan or whatever of Dubai? I, my apologies, sir, for getting your exact title wrong, but at least I do recognise your face. Um, best minister in the world. That, that should be put on a mug, really, I think. <laughs> Sold it uh, at the school fete. <laughs> A new segment of this podcast, uh, Justin, is where I where I mentioned one of my dreams. This is all Vivica Wiley's fault uh, because he thought it might be an interesting segment. And I see Vivica's now at the CSIRO. He is engineering and design leader for something called Reinventing Science, a strategic program to revolutionise science through digital technologies over the next 20 to 30 years. So I think I should get him on. Oh, clearly. Um, I'm, I am intrigued by how you're going to insert digits into dreams, although given the <laughs> kinds of dreams that you relay to us, I'm not sure that we really need to know too much detail about that. Well, indeed. I can't tell you certainly about last night's dream because it was mostly about a sex club in Korea and Art Deco architecture. Mostly the architecture, I will say, but I just seem to be enjoying the visual spectacle of the architecture while other activities not to be named were going on. Were you digitally transformed? Um, maybe maybe oh, we should get to answer that. Certainly. <laughs> yes. yes. As, you, as you say at the beginning of often these podcasts, these podcasts often contain disturbing sexual imagery, so maybe we yes. should leave it there. 
Well, here's the thing, though. The dream I'm going to mention was from back in December 2019, where I dreamed I was presenting a radio program with Ben Grubb, who's a Sydney, is he in Sydney? Yeah, Sydney-based journalist at the moment, uh, where he and I, this radio program was just us going through the names of all of the pornography websites blocked by the Australian government. Uh and ex- explaining what the words meant Excellent. in the names of, of each of these websites. <laughs> and and we rated the words, each of the words, out of ten. And it wasn't this measure, but it did remind me of the Monty Python sketch about woody words versus tinny words, but there are other qualities to judge. And, and there was also a bit where we – we're issuing freedom of information requests, but all the answers coming back from the government were handwritten on scraps of paper and hard to read. Now, we will come back to freedom of information shortly. Justin, do, do you have memorable dreams? Not often, no. Some, occasionally I do have the odd sort of disturbing one where you can't quite tell if it was real or not, and it, it mm. sort of throws you off your day for, for a while. Um, every yes. now and again, I have one of those, and they're they're not a lot of fun, actually. Um, no, some I think no. I'm sure I'm sure there's some things that I think I remember from my past, which were actually just some particularly vivid dream, and it probably never actually occurred. <laughs> Your Honour, I don't really. Oh, yes, that's <laughs> I believe right. that's just a. I distinctly a remember forgetting that, Your Honour. Um, yes. No, I don't. Uh, I don't really get vivid dreams or memorable dreams no it's I, I sort of feel ripped off really um some of them actually sound quite quite marvelous yes uh and as regular listeners may know i'm sure i've mentioned this before one of the medications i take one of its known side effects is incredibly vivid uh if not lucid dreams uh, which is when you know you're in a dream and can in fact uh consciously change its course Hmm. I have um, I have done that once or twice in my life. Um, I don't remember the specifics of the dream, but um, no, I don't. I mean, I enjoy them at the time. Um, I just rapidly mm. move on afterwards. I think the only ones I've sort of remember a long time of were early fever dreams when I was young and and you know un- particularly unwell and and you have those dreams that are really quite disturbing. I have, I have one mm. which was mm. quite existential and and threatening, which was unpleasant. Um, but other than that, no, I don't. I don't have any. That, maybe that's it. Maybe I only really remember the terrible and dark ones. That might say something <laughs> about my personality. Um, <sighs> maybe I should try to remember happier dreams. Think. Well, I think happy thoughts. Will say. I will say that the the other part of this medication side effect is that it screws up the mechanism which makes you forget dreams quite quickly after you wake up, and so often I will have a period of about an hour where my thoughts are still jumbled up, dream thoughts with what's happening now, and it takes takes a little while for the brain to sort out which bits should go where, mm. Your, Your Honour. Yes, I think I've had that <laughs> once or twice, and yeah, it is um, It's very disconcerting, actually. It's uh, mm. it, it's not unpleasant, but it or depending on the dream. If the dream's not great, it does throw you off your day a bit. But, um, yeah, but they're not nightmares. No. That's the thing, isn't it? A nightmare is is like a whole different experience. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's odd and in ways that, you know, things that make sense in, in dreamland can be completely <laughs> off the wall. And it's like, yeah, I've, I mean, of, of course there's a zebra in, in my bathroom. You know, why doesn't yes. everyone have one? They come in a range of decorative right. colours. 
and now where is my zebra removal spray? Yes, and that then becomes the problem of the dream. Not that there's a zebra in the bathroom, but that you've lost the spray. Yes, exactly, and it's and it's t- actually quite upsetting. I, I, I think I had one once. <laughs> Again, when I was oh, I was very young, and I remember that um, it was vitally important that I tell my parents um, to get a spatula. Um, there, wow. there was something about a spatula that was incredibly necessary for whatever was going on in my dream, um, and I was just sort of politely guided back to bed and say, <laughs> "You know, well, we'll tell you about that in the morning." I do. I remember some sort of idea about the importance, but I can't remember why. Wow. There you go, zebras and spatulas. And my, what an exciting dream life I have. And now a flashback to the 3rd of December 2020 and the then Minister for Home Affairs, uh, Peter Dutton. All right. Uh, and is his speech introducing the surveillance legislation amendment brackets identify and disrupt in brackets bill 2020? The surveillance legislation amendment identify and disrupt bill of 2020 will enhance the powers of Commonwealth law enforcement agencies to help combat serious crimes perpetrated using anonymising technologies and the dark web. As technology has changed, so too has the tradecraft of criminals. Multiple layers of technologies that conceal the identities, IP addresses, jurisdictions, locations and activities of criminals are increasingly hampering investigations into serious crimes. This includes child sexual abuse, terrorism and the trafficking of firearms and illicit drugs. Online anonymity combined with less traceable cryptocurrencies allow criminals to trade in the most abhorrent online marketplaces with perceived impunity. That's a message... (laughs) that we hear all too often. Well, the standard threats, we therefore need to be up in your cybers. Now, Justin, I know you're on the board of Electronic Frontiers Australia, but your interest in these things, I should say you're speaking obviously personally in this uh, conversation, but your interest in these things goes back quite a way. Why is that? Uh, I mean, because you're old, getting old, obviously. Well, yes, my interest in many things goes back a long way now, and hopefully it will go back much longer. Um, yes, ideally. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, not sure. Um, I think it, it sort of stems from an inherent thing I've had, as as long as I can remember, where I, I, I think in systems um, and, and, and power structures, and it's I've always been bothered by bullies. Um, I was bullied a little bit at school, but not not overly. Um, I was always a bit bright and curious in odd things, but it was never it was never a major problem until oh, there were a couple of minor there were a couple of incidents, but you know, nothing like system systemic or systematic bullying <laughs> that many people would get um, or have reported. I, I didn't have any of that. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I guess it's more that I was. I mean, I like to be left alone. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, mm. an introvert who can play an extrovert on television when required. Um, then I, <laughs> Ditto, yeah. I quite enjoy having a nap after that. Um, you know, I can I can put on a mask and and play the role for a while, but then you come off stage and and you you know need a rest. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's always been because I I think people should mostly be left alone to do things that you know just get on with it and. Um, 
as long as it's not harming anybody else. You know, what, what consenting adults get up to in the privacy of their own home is no concern of mine. Um, and I'd quite like other people to leave me alone to just get on with stuff as well. So it's partly about that um, and partly about just ensuring that we have structures in place that allow people to live their best lives um, unencumbered by pain that's um, inflicted on them by other people as much as we can. Interestingly, my experience, I like, again was was you know bullied a bit at school. I'm a bit of an introvert, so what? Um, because again, it wasn't the kind of thing that it, that relates to those horrible stories that you hear from people who had a, a really rough time. Mm. But I did go to an elite private school on a scholarship, though, because I came from uh, really quite a poor family at the time. Um, you know the 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 level of not being wealthy is the level of well dinner tonight is going to be a tomato sauce and butter sandwich on white bread, mm. you know, or something. Uh, we didn't starve, but it wasn't flash. Um, so you get a bit of grief at those schools uh, because you're a scholarship boy, and therefore not part of the correct. Um, in Adelaide, eastern suburbs, like it is in Sydney, mm. like it is in Melbourne, kind of as well, really, isn't it? Uh, which is where you're from. Well, I did. I, I went actually went to. Um, I also went to an elite private school, but that was in Sydney, not in Melbourne. I, I moved to uh. Melbourne in uh, about the year 2000. I, I lived in Adelaide for a couple of years um, in the late 90s. Okay. Sorry, um, and then I, basically in the. In the '90s, I I was in Sydney, and I uh, I managed to avoid all of the pedophiles um, at the famous North Shore School um, during the time that that was going on. Um, so there was a bit of luck yeah. involved there, it seems. But um, no, mostly Good. I just I I was in sort of the middle tier of ignorables. I wasn't one of the I was friends with some of the outcasts, and I knew some of the you know the popular people, and was in some mm-hmm. of the brighter classes. But I was kind of just in the big ignorable middle there, and kept my head down. Uh, so I had the problem because being a scholarship boy, you're expected to do well. And yeah, mm. yeah, I, I did quite well. Top the school in geography, four A's and a B in the, the, the what was the matriculation then, the year 12 exams. Mm. Uh, because I was too fucking lazy to get straight A's. I, when, by the time I was about 15, I realised that my function going to this school for free was to um, push up the scores mm. so that they could advertise that to the, the actual fee-paying parents. And and I thought, well, eh, fuck that. This is close enough. Four A's and a B is perfectly respectable. Um, and, and I realised that once you've actually achieved the minimum score you need to do the university pathway that you prefer – why bother doing any more? Because no one will ever look at this at any point for the entire rest of your life. And it always worries me that, that Year 12 students are stressed out beyond belief when doing their final exams. Mm. But in the broad scheme of things, it's it doesn't matter all that much. Yeah, I... I Certainly, I, we had similar sort of ideas when I when I was there. Um, I, it was a little bit more opaque to me, I felt. Um, so there was it, – it's just that lack of knowledge means that you sort of do freak out a bit and try to mm. either either just abandon it all because you don't know what's going on 
or try much harder than you need to because you don't know where the line is. Um, so you just try to jump That's over true. that line as, as much as you can. Um, but I, I would, I, I do hesitate to tell people that it's not that important because I think the system is different now to when it was when I was at school. So I don't want to, I don't want to be one of those people who tells <laughs> yes. young people you should do things the way I did when I was your age because the world was very different then um, <laughs> in the same way that, you know, we, we have the boomers telling us, oh, you know, you just do this and do that. And it's going, school was free. Uni was free. Um, mm -hmm. Houses were nearly free. They were giving away mm -hmm. with your wheat picks when you were my age. Um, so I, I don't think a lot of that advice is necessarily worthwhile. Generally, the... I guess that you but know, we're middle-aged white men. We we are middle-aged white men. Our advice is the best advice there can possibly be. Oh, clearly, yes. Well, yes. you know, I mean, yeah, rich white male. Um, yeah, you should definitely do what I tell you to do. Mm. God no. Um, yeah, but to back to the topic. Back to the topic. Yeah. Uh, what I noticed from that um, private school experience was that here was a cohort of people who just assumed they were going to be the leaders. This was part of the indoctrination. Mm. There was this assumption that simply because you went to a certain school that the pathway was now going to be open. Yeah. Do well at your private school and, you know, I, I mean, I didn't fit in because I, I commuted a fair distance and I wasn't interested in sport and therefore I wasn't in the, the, the cricket team. Uh, I know that if you're in Sydney, being in the private school rugby team is an incredibly important part of your networking. Mm. Uh, just see how many of uh, the Liberal Party politicians in New South Wales were, pl were rugby players for the University of Sydney. Mm. Yeah, see, I didn't, I didn't like rugby. Um, I, I mean, I was I was small. I still am. I, I'm not. I'm not a big mm -hmm. lad. Um, I'm, I'm probably got a bit more weight on me now than than I did when I was younger. Not all of it around the middle. Um, so I'm probably in better shape now than I was when I was at school. But I was I was kind of a weedy, nerdy kid. Um, I did orienteering as my school sport, oh, okay. um, which was quite fun. Um, but I didn't, and I played soccer to to start with, and I was really bad at cricket. But the, and that was the thing, yeah. Cricket and rugby, they were the two big sports that everyone was in, uh, keen on. And yeah, that that whole born to rule attitude, I hated it with a burning passion. Um, I, I mean, I did well academically, but I was really into music as well. So I, I spent oh, okay. most of my time playing band and doing music things, um, and was grumpy because I didn't have enough spare time to do art as well. Um, ah. so I just, I, I was interested in all the things, um, still am, um, which is a bit of a problem. Uh, it can be at times, but yeah, it's, it, I remember in about year 10, I was ready to throw in the towel and I like, I hated the place and wanted to leave and you could leave at 16. And I, I was actually giving that serious consideration because I was so uh, thoroughly sick of playing the game. Like I knew what the game was and I knew the rules and I could, like I, I could, I was fortunate enough to be that I had the choice that I could play by the rules and and work my way through it and work the system. But mm. I resented it. Re I really, really resented it. And I think I got I got talked down by my English teacher at the time, Miss McCann, um, who was an excellent teacher and um, totally out of place at the school. Um, but she was <laughs> a, a breath of fresh air. It was it was wonderful. Um, it's funny how you have some good teachers like that. And uh, yeah, so she just sort of convinced me that look, you just need to 
you know, put your head down and get through it. And yes, we know that's yes, it's a it's a stupid system, but that's the system. So, you know, I think she was trying to kind of look after look after me to say, you know, don't throw your life away with this teenage rebellion thing. Um, grit your teeth and you'll be fine. And yeah, that was it was good advice, probably. I don't know what my life would have turned out like if I'd gone the other way. Well, yes, too many variables in that. But you've mentioned there, you know, rebelling against the system, being told, no, this is the system. And now you're a person who wants to change systems, is very critical of systems. Yes. There's no there's no obvious pathway there, is there? <laughs> um well that's that's sort of been the story of my life, really, I think. Um, is is yeah dealing with systems. I, I ended up becoming a consultant, which is kind of good in that it is actually about systems um, the whole way. It took me a long time to realise it wasn't about technical systems. It's actually about human systems and how they mm. they interact with each other. And most of the the technology stuff's easy. Um, it's the people things that are really hard, and that's what most people actually struggle with. Change in particular is very difficult. Um, there's a lovely diagram by, I think, uh, I think the cartoonist name's Hugh Stevens or maybe, um, but there's a good diagram somewhere I've seen which is that around change, which is that you have status quo and then a change mm. happens and then you have a period of chaos and then gradually it, um, it sort of collapses in on and to become the new status quo and stabilises again. Um, and that's I, I, that does appeal to me a lot because yes, once stable systems resist change, that's what stable means. So if you want to change a stable system, you have to destabilize it in order for it to become a new stable system. Because um, if you don't destabilize it enough, it'll just settle back into whatever it was doing before. And in fact, in mo most human systems, there are people within that system who benefit from it who will actively fight you and resist that change. And that's something that you need to take into account when you're running any kind of change program, be it in a technology or a, a business context or indeed society. I've written down on the running sheet a big list of all of the, the laws relating to surveillance and social media um, regulation and, and other things. And we've had a, a big bundle of them this week, everything from – trying to deal with defamatory comments on social media, uh, which is a fascinating concept, uh, to, uh, well, what, what, let's not spend too much time on this because let's, you know, I like the more human aspects that we've been talking about. But what stands out for you in this bundle of activities in the last few weeks? Um, well, it's it's not really any new. I mean, this is the same same rhetoric and the same general plan, the same trajectory that we've been on for twenty plus years. Um, mm. There is a, the answer always seems to be more power given to an ever well more power given to few people with less and less oversight, um, which is euphemistically referred to as flexibility, um, mm. because. We don't want anyone to slow us down because everything is, you know, it's it's changing and there's innovation and it's all and apparently that's that's bad, um, and it it hasn't worked. I think is is kind of the interesting part is that we've been doing this for twenty years, and apparently mm -hmm. it hasn't actually done anything good. 
It's a little bit like the Americans starting the war on drugs in the 70s. And, you know, the drugs have been winning quite comprehensively for some time. Mm. Um, they, you know, it's, it's a lot like starting a land war in Asia. It's generally not a good idea. Um, as the Americans have recently <laughs> found right. out, to we, their we started peril. two of them. Yes, and and we, <laughs> it, it it sort of relates to that that lucky country side of things, I guess. Is that people seem to be impervious to learning? Um, none of this has actually helped, or if it or it, it has, and that it's this it's this weird um, dual position of both. We need all of this power because none of the other powers that we have work. Um, but also we're superb and amazing and brilliant at our jobs and totally breaking all of the criminals all the time. You know, record drug hauls and record numbers of people prosecuted for this, that and the other. Like, so everything's getting worse, but also you are amazing and better at everything all the time. But please well, give yes, me more the power. number of people actually affected by terrorism in Australia is incredibly low, Oh, which is a fantastic thing. One could argue, therefore, that everything's going smashingly. In which case, we don't need to provide people with any more power um, because what you were already doing worked. And, that, and that's what bothers me. Is like there's no – we can't actually have a real conversation about any of this because it just gets uh, – it devolves into just pointless kind of oh, – not name-calling, but it, it just devolves into these rhetorical Witchy. games about – and. Yeah. And, and extremist positions on things. And it's, we haven't had a conversation about, like, wh where is the line? Um, that, that's what I want to have. I, I want two lines drawn up. One is, where is the line where this is too far? This is too far. Because you need to know that in advance. Um, because if you don't, then you need a good old Overton window. Um, what is acceptable keeps being moved um what's it called normalization of deviance um mm. it you just get used to it and more and more extreme things start to become acceptable so we should be drawing a line of no this is too much power and no one should be able you know no one person should have this much power no group should be ever allowed to do this and we should be deciding that in advance but on the other side the one that really bothers me is that we never talk about the risk, the downside risk. So how many times are you allowed to make a mistake? How many times are police or, you know, how many times are police allowed to abuse their power before they are fired? Um, I mean, if you're a casino in Melbourne, apparently the answer is you can't. Um, there's nothing you can do to lose your licence, which is amazing. But we like. I should I should explain what's just happened here <laughs> for the nose up at the use. There was a royal commission uh, in the state of Victoria which found that Crown Casinos Holding Company was not a fit and proper person to have a casino licence. So you would expect after that some sort of change. But we heard this week, no, 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 they'll be allowed to keep their casino licence. Crown is on um, super double secret probation for two years. And um, and then I, I saw something about, oh, we presume that they'll lose it at the end of that unless they change their ways. Like, so they haven't lost it and they're allowed to, you know, they get a do-over. Um, I was like, ah, really? Where I, I've become increasingly frustrated with the lack of consequences for for powerful people who abuse their position. Um, it, it bothers me because mm. like, I'm also quite, um, I believe in rehabilitation and that people are able to change and that you shouldn't be permanently punished for a mistake that you make. 
but by the same token, like if a toddler misuses a chainsaw, we we take the chainsaw away from them, and we are we ask questions about who gave them a chainsaw in the first place. Did they pass the safety briefing? Was there even a safety briefing? And there's so much of this is like, hang on, if you don't pass the safety briefing, you don't get to play with the chainsaw in the paddock full of toddlers. We don't start, you know, wringing our hands about, oh, no, who could have predicted that a chainsaw let loose on toddlers would, you know, that this could possibly have occurred. And yet there seem to be so many credulous people who just seem baffled by the idea that, Actually, chainsaws and toddlers are things that probably shouldn't be put together. I am immediately reminded uh, now, of course, that we do have this thing in front of us called the... What's it called? The Social Media Basic Expectations and Defamation Bill, uh, which is really sort of a... It's come out of this whole politicians having hurt feelings because someone's been rude to them on on Facebook or Twitter or something, mm. and and said things which may or may not be defamatory. Uh, I'm not arguing about any particular case, but we already have defamation laws, and this seems to be a a defamation law for people on Twitter, and now we have to find out who they are, kind of thing. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a private it's one members' of those bill, murder- so I'm not that worried about its actual likelihood of becoming law. Um, these things. Well, yes, and I should say it's a private members' bill from Dr. Anne Webster, who's the National Party MP for the division of Mallee in Victoria. Mallee being farmland way out in the, the boondocks, really. Uh, to give you a, an example of how how on the ball she is. This is her just the other day commenting here on the fact that solar panels don't work at night. What Keith says is actually perfectly true. They don't They don't work in the dark and neither do our wind farms. Yes, it's, I mean, someone who doesn't understand the existence of batteries is definitely, I want, it's definitely who I want regulating the internet. Um, oh, look, this is just... <laughs> Pointless rhetoric, um, again, designed it's, – it's political rhetoric for point scoring and stuff. It's just posturing before an election. It's, it has no value whatsoever. Zooming way out then, we have uh, mentioned the whole thing that we've had 20 years of this kind of legislation. In the 20 years since, of course, the 9-11 attacks in New York and uh, whatever the one was in London, the 7-7 attacks in London and so on, and Madrid and whatever, there, there was a burst of terrorist activity 20 years ago and it triggered a lot of change. If you want, by the way, a really good dispassionate discussion of those last 20 years, uh, Hugh White, who's one of Australia's greatest strategic analysts, um, has been doing a lot of writing for uh, uh, the Saturday paper and the monthly of late and he appears on their podcast, on the 7am podcast from time to time. As always, I'm linking to a bunch of things on the website. He has written brilliantly recently uh, about how we've made so many wrong decisions by uh, approaching 9-11 in particular as a military thing which requires a war in response as opposed to a horrible, horrible mass murder which requires an investigative and policing response. Mm. Uh, I won't go into the arguments here because he, he does them very well. But also over that period, Australia has 
uh, more than 60 pieces of legislation since 9-11, which relate to surveillance and national security and so on. Um, a review of all this, a review, a uh, what's its title here? The Comprehensive Review of the Legal Framework of the National Intelligence Community. It was conducted very detailed by uh, a former diplomat and uh, ASIO chief, Dennis Richardson, who's uh, very well regarded. Um, his report came down in December 2019, nearly two years ago, although the government didn't publish it until a year later. And his, his like to sum it up, it, it I have read the whole thing. It's very detailed because it went through all this legislation. The report, even the unclassified version of this report, is thirteen hundred pages. Mm. So, or I, I, I lied. I haven't read all of it. Um, I, I haven't. I read all of it yet either. It's. Um, I am gradually making my way through it, and it is an excellent piece of piece of literature. Um, well, maybe not literature, yes. but it's an excellent piece of work, and I do commend it to anyone who is interested. Even just dipping in and out of it one one chapter yes. at a time is worthwhile. His broad recommendation is Australia needs, amongst other things, because he looked at all intelligence activities, um, but he did say on the term in, in electronic surveillance areas, we need a new Electronic Surveillance Act written from scratch that assumes digital and analogue communications are all the same, that we don't have separate Facebook laws and telephone laws and whatever, law, or GPS laws or whatever. But he did flag that to do this, once you have the consultations and lawyers, it's a three- to five-year project. It's mm. quite a bit of work needs to go into this. Have you seen, Justin, have you seen any signs of this starting? He asks leadingly, or does it feel like we're still seeing random, rushed and fragmented pieces of legislation? Um, well, you're asking someone who just had, what was it, four or five different bits of legislation dumped on, on them last Monday that I had to read quickly. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I've seen no evidence of um, anyone wishing to engage in this in that kind of serious way whatsoever. We're just going to continue to react and... Um, and, and rush through things that have been poorly thought through and are generally based on whatever happened last time. So we will continue to to, to just create um, even more layers on top of the already rickety structure that we have. Fabulous. And at that point, I think we'll take a brief break to uh, or cry a little bit, uh, <laughs> but also do the housekeeping. <laughs> Dear listener, this very long episode, and I hope you're staying with us, uh, is the first episode in the Spring Series 2021, uh, and there will be another episode each week for the next five weeks after this one. Uh, I am very pleased to tell you that the next guest will be Mark Humphreys, the wonderful satirist who's been on before. Uh, we're recording this coming Wednesday, the 3rd of November, so if you have... If you are a supporter with trigger words or a conversation topic to uh, to cash in with Mark, I will need to know about that uh, by 1.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time this Wednesday, the 3rd of November. So uh, make sure uh, you get that in. After that, the episodes in order of you hearing them uh, will be John Birmingham, 
wonderful John Birmingham again. Then you'll hear my trip out to Orange in the central tablelands of New South Wales to chat with Father Carl Sinclair and go to a cemetery mass for the dead in the tiny little town of Cargo, population 560-something. That'll be weird. Uh, And after that... The wonderful Dr. Space Junk, uh, Dr. Alice Gorman, will finally catch up with her. Uh, the research we were going to talk about still hasn't been made public, but uh, there's so much space news lately that uh, I think there's plenty to talk about. So that's uh, all coming up, but Mark Humphrey's next. Be quick if you want to insert your brain into the pod. Now... This podcast is, of course, made possible by you, the generous listener, and especially everyone who contributed to the Spring Series Possible campaign. I won't list you all this episode because it's it's long enough already. Uh, I will list you all next time. Uh, but I do want to say thank you to you all. And thank you also separately to Simon Harris, a regular supporter who uh, does not subscribe, but he, he certainly throws in a few dollars every now and then, and it's much appreciated. If you would like to join those people, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, uh, go to the 9pmedic.com slash tip at the 9pmedic.com slash tip. Uh, there's also information there on how to subscribe, which basically means making uh, regular payments, which is which is nice if you do that. Uh, if, you, if you can't or don't want to do that, uh, just please tell your friends about the pod, send them the link, or just enjoy it. And now back to uh, Justin Warren. And uh, now a few words from Australia's Minister for Energy and Emissions Reduction, Angus Taylor. I'm just saying we are the ones who enter into international agreements. We're the ones that put out quarterly emissions updates every sector every gas in a way which is more transparent over an extended period of time than any other country in the world. Uh, we've done this for years. Uh, so we take this very seriously. Uh, we, we deliver on outcomes. The, the, score, the, the runs are on the scoreboard um, and we'll continue to put them on the scoreboard, doing it in the Australian way, a practical, responsible, evolutionary way forward. Let's talk about transparency. Why the secrecy, Angus Taylor, about the modelling behind yesterday's plan? There's no secrecy. Read well, the 128. Release, release the modelling. The, the 128 page document, which few have bothered to read, we saw critics coming out within minutes before they'd read the 128 mm. page document, talking as though they knew what was in but it. But I'm asking but what, specifically, what uh, our time is short, I know you've got other commitments. Mm. I'm asking specifically about the modelling. When will you release the modelling well, the- behind yesterday's plan? The outcomes of the modelling is what I was going to say. The outcomes of the modelling are laid out very clearly. But what about the modelling? Um, when will you release the modelling? And and the detail of the modelling will be released at an appropriate time. When? But the outcomes... When? When? The outcome, no, it's a serious question it's, yeah. and it's a serious policy. When is the appropriate time? To, today no, today month, and yesterday is about laying out the plan and explaining the plan to Australians. Uh, there's a lot of detail in the plan. Many have not deemed... Uh, their their time worthwhile of actually reading it, and I think they should. But what the plan lays out very clearly is a responsible pathway forward, and the outcomes of the modelling are laid out very clearly. 
improving our GDP, $2,000 per capita, bringing down emissions consistently. But how do we know that if we don't see the modelling? You say that, but how do we know that without actually seeing the modelling? Well, as I say, uh, the modelling will be released at an appropriate time. Is, is, that, and the good, details, is that good enough? The, the is, details, that, is that good enough not, not, the, not to release the modelling on the back well, of we this release, look, plan? Michael, you can keep asking this question. I've already answered it and I'll keep answering I'm it. I'm asking on behalf of voters who'd like to see the modelling. Yes, and, and the outcomes of the modelling are laid out very clearly in the plan. But not and the, the further detail, the further detail will be released at an appropriate time. But what you can see very clearly is a pathway forward. Uh, which yeah, is mumble, mumble, which mumble, is mumble. Sorry, there, that's Angus Taylor kept baffing the table. Um, so, uh, Justin, my my visual thing there was of his fist thumping the table in the background, not. Oh, Some that's what other his fist was hand-based I see. jerking motion. Oh, yes, it's it's. Much I don't think Angus Taylor was masturbating on breakfast television. Well, that's something that we uh, can all be grateful for. I think he does strike me that that Angus Taylor has the air, and he always looks like he's just only that moment discovered the existence of his own head. I there, there seem to be many things that mystify Mr. Taylor. Yes, yes, which we won't go into due to Australia's robust defamation laws. Uh, but look, this whole thing, yes, we're showing the outcomes of the modelling rather than the modelling. So we have no idea what data has been cherry-picked. We might come back to that. But Justin, you do describe, or did you describe yourself as this or did I do? A freedom of information tragic. I think that was you. Um I, it's it's probably accurate. Um, I I have a very silly hobby. Yes. How and why did that start? Oh, I don't I don't really remember. I th- I think it was probably related to census fail back in the God. Which which census was that? The last 2016? one. Twenty sixteen. Before then. Yeah, at least then. I think it I might mean, have what, been what, earlier. What was? Yeah, well, what was your first Freedom of Information request? I'd have to go and look it up, um, which I, I can do now if you want to have a, a brief. Yeah, why not? So the first annotation I can find, or the first request I made through the excellent website, righttoknow.org.au, uh, was February 8, 2016. So what's that? Five, nearly six years ago? Uh, which was to the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, Aggregate Statistics on Reports of Misconduct and Outcome. Um, That's a ripper. That does sound exciting, doesn't it? Um, I, I think this is possibly related to some sort of investigation was happening in the news at the time and I was just wondering how widespread the challenge was. Um, I thought, hey, I could ask them. And... Yeah, I wanted to find out how many, what was it? Oh, enforcement algorithms or something. Aggregate statistics things. Um, you can go and look it up for yourself if you go and look up my my stuff on um, Right to Know. I will link specifically to that one so everyone can enjoy uh, the process, mm. which is uh, putting in a freedom of information request. Now, righttoknow.org.au, what is what is that? So it is a website that is run by uh, a not-for-profit called Open Australia Foundation. Uh, it's an excellent group of people. Um, it uses some open source technology uh, called Alva, what's it called, Alavitelli, um, which is designed to do this kind of freedom of information request processing 
uh, in a generic way for most governments because they generally have a similar sort of process for releasing information to to the public. And like you ask for it and then they deny it. Uh, largely, that and is. And then you say, no, no, really, you have to give it to me. Yes, that that sort of does does that is fairly common. Uh, that's that's pretty mm-hmm. much the the way things are done. Most places in the world, occasionally, they actually do give you some info, which is quite interesting. Um, yeah, so it, it runs the process for you and remembers things like how long they have before you should give them a nudge to remind them that you exist and that, you know, maybe they should think about perhaps complying with the law because, I mean, really there isn't much that happens if they don't, but some of them at least pretend to try. Um, yeah, I found it to be quite quite useful for helping me with the process. Trent Yarwood, friend of the pod, has in fact bought a series of trigger words um, especially for you Excellent. on this episode. Uh, Dr. Trent Yarwood, of course, is a, an infectious diseases physician and a bit of a technology nerd from the being a doctor perspective. Mm. Uh, and he was on the pod a couple of months back talking about, I don't know, there's some pandemic on or others. Anyway, he this first one, he says, FOI response time. Freedom of information response time. Well, he's, and he's certainly knows how to trigger a response, doesn't he? Um, thank you, Trent. Uh, yes. I'll uh, I'll make sure that I say thank you in person at some point when I'm allowed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, response times. Um, well, they they do vary. Um, there are some statutory required times, which are um, look. The the one good thing about the FOI regime in Australia, certainly from the federal perspective, which is where I do most of my FOI requests. Um, is that if they don't respond within a certain amount of time, it, you, it's what you what's called a uh, let me see a deemed refusal. So it assumes that they refused if they don't tell you anything, and then you have um, other avenues you can pursue to get someone else to take a look at it. You don't have to wait for them too much more anymore. So there are some hard deadlines, which uh, is frustrating, but is actually quite useful because it does give them a bit of a hurry along and you can do some things with it if they don't respond. Um, but generally, yeah, my, in my experience, the more recalcitrant groups um, will leave it to the last possible moment um, and then expect turnarounds very quickly. And I've, I've taken uh, at least one where I think I got my response the very late evening on the last possible day and then because I wrote my reply back I think the following a.m. or something they said oh no you've missed the window because it was it needed to be in by midnight and it's like I I don't know about you lot but it, on Friday nights at 9 p.m. I'm not sitting here waiting for an FOI to come in um, hmm. most of the time occasionally perhaps I do uh, but yes it's just shenanigans like that happen um although i do i do to some agencies credit there are a few that do actually attempt to do a good job um and like my uh back in 2016 around the census fail side of things um the australian bureau of statistics foi unit were actually very helpful and they did actually try quite hard to get me to both to understand the information i was trying to get and to then provide the information to me so they and and it was some of some things which could have been embarrassing for them but they actually tried to do a good job. Um, there are numerous other agencies that are reflexively secretive and work very, very <laughs> hard to not give any information out at all, and that, and then that's part of their their response time plan. 
news story, in fact, this week. This is from The Guardian. Delays are commonplace now. Only 77% of requests are handled within the lawful time frame. Mm. So 23% are not, nearly a quarter, they fail. Uh, Extreme delays, 12% of them go more than three months beyond the statutory time frame. Uh, the Prime Minister's office as uh, has been one of the worst agencies. It uh, decided fewer than 50% of them within the time frame. Mm. And Home Affairs. they I, I mean, to be fair, they have a huge volume of requests, but they're also a very big department mm. and whatever. Uh, the number of those meet the lawful time frame only 62% of cases in the last year. I... Uh, <clears throat> yep. It does bounce around a bit from from year to year, but um, mm. yes, that certainly jives with um, with my experience. How would you suggest people start playing this game? Because I, I will say that, w- that when I look at some of the things people are requesting in freedom of information requests, they they kind of have no idea how to do it. Yes, you know, please said please. Please show me the proof that COVID vaccines work. <laughs> now, you've mentioned righttoknow.org.au, which will step you through the mechanics of it. Mm. But how would you suggest people learn the vibe of it? Yeah. So, like, unfortunately, um, like many things in life, uh, getting good at something uh, is a skill, which means that you need to practice it and it will require effort. Mm. Um, so, if you do actually care about learning how to do this, um, you, you're going to have to do some of that. Um, but it's not that hard. I mean, I'm I'm not that bright, and I've managed to figure it out oh, a bit. But right. I, I've spent I've spent a lot of time doing it, um, and it's. It is kind of dry. The um, the office of the Australian Information Commissioner um, is is actually pretty pretty good. Um, they they have a lot of information about uh, how the process works, um, which is much more accessible than reading the law itself. Um, although I I do also do that. Uh, so it it's available out there on the internet for you to go to. So go to the uh, office of the Australian Information Commissioner. I'm sure still we'll put a, a link in the in the pod notes. Um, mm-hmm. Have a look at the freedom of information side of things, and step through particularly the FOI guidelines. So that's where the OAIC explains to agencies how FOI is supposed to work, and it summarises a lot of the decisions that have been made by courts and in the administrative tribunal, the AAT, uh, about how FOI operates. And that summary will have footnotes, and if you're particularly keen, you can actually go and read the the case uh, itself, which is in some cases actually quite useful and valuable. Um, but that's a really good starting point to get a handle on how FOI works as a whole. Then for some of the uh, how do you actually do FOI effectively, given that it is um, a, a bit of a combative experience, certainly with some agencies, that's a matter of understanding a bit about the game as it's played versus reading the rule book and the history. And Right to Know is good for that. So the Right to Know website, you can see other people's FOI requests and see the back and forth of the play. So that's a lot like um, you've learned the rules of chess and you've played a few games with your mates and you've gone and got a bit of a handle on it. 
now you go and watch other people play and start to learn how good players play this game, I don't know, chess or soccer or anything else. So you'll pick up the odd tip or trick. Um, one I got from Geordie um, uh, Guy was you, so you can only request documents. Um, you can't just mm. request information. You have to record documents. You can say things like, I request the documents that contain the information you're after. Um but a request that you make, particularly if it's done through email, which Write to Know will send, email are documents. So you can make a request for something, and then if it doesn't succeed, you can then put in a new request asking for all the correspondence about your first request. And that can uncover some very interesting stuff, such as when the agency starts communicating with their uh, media handlers about how do you think we should deal with this from this person (laughs) asking these embarrassing questions. Um, And sometimes that can uncover some really quite entertaining things. So there's little tricks like that that you can learn from watching other people play this game. And, And I recommend, yeah, go and read, write to know, see what they do. I assume, too, that having some knowledge of the structure of the public service process, and the well, to lesser extent, the political process, uh, but that would help. Uh, so you might want to start – an example would be, you know, you it would be unrealistic to ask for all the documents containing reports of – uh, complaints against the police of a certain type because that might be hundreds of documents scattered all across the universe mm. uh, and they'll quite rightly come back, well, assuming the police are, have to respond to a freedom of information request at all and that's a state thing, but um, whatever. They, yeah, it's a state thing and they do but the states are different and I have done yeah. some in Victoria where I live. Um, but, yeah, uh, it costs money on in states, although... They, all the rules are different by state, which makes it a bit more complicated. Yes. In Victoria, there's a fee to file an FOI request. Federally, it's free. Um, you may be charged a essentially a search fee and a fine and you know, a printing fee kind of thing for for actually doing the work of getting your your response. Um, but there's ways around. You know, if it's in the public interest, you don't have to. And if it's personal information about you, then that's free of charge. There's some other stuff around that. Um, but broadly speaking, the, the, the point I wanted to make there was if your request, though, then is like far too broad yep. and when the, just their FOI no. officer looks at yep. it and says, no, look, that's going to be thousands of pages of stuff that which we've got to pull back from all these officers, um, some officers, I think, will be helpful and say, perhaps if you asked for this... Like Some will be the helpful. summary yeah. reports. They are yeah. supposed to do that, and I think that's Section Twenty Four A B, which is um, a, a <laughs> consultation. <laughs> yes, I know, just yes. happen to know these things. I I I have a my own bit in uh, in Ostley now. I have a citation about taking one of the agencies to the AAT about consultation. Um, Ostley is the Australian Legal Information Institute, which is a wonderful institution and mm. the first of what are now many around the world. Uh, built on the concept that if we all have to obey the law, then we should all have reasonable access to the law and understand what's going on. So what a frightening concept. Mm. I know, I, it's, I know. It's great. I, lo- I love the Ostley website. I use it often. Um, you can drill down into the legislation, K 
cases. Mm. Uh, if you look at a particular, like Section 47 of the Privacy Act, you can then see every case in the federal court which has ever cited that section. Yeah, law, law site is, is excellent, yes. I, I have used that in doing research for responses to my my FOI challenges and various things. So, yeah, it's an excellent place. Um, this is the more advanced part. Um, once yes. you've, you've familiarised yourself with, um, with OIC, OAIC's website, but it will have the links to some of these, these uh, cases so you can actually go and read it, and that's, that's where I read them. What have you got on the burner at the moment? So I don't have a lot on the go at the moment. Um, one, I have asked for the business case for mandatory iView accounts. So this is the ABC's decision to change their iView system to require you to have an account rather than it being optional. Um, I have asked them for the business case um, about you know why they thought that was a good idea. Um, which is now waiting internal review. Actually, no, that was a deemed refusal because they didn't respond to the internal review, so that's now going up for a... Uh, I've requested an information commissioner review, so that'll be a bit of fun. Uh, but the big one is one I can't talk about in a lot of detail because it's currently in active proceedings before the uh, Australian Ad Administrative Tribunal. Um, the government has appealed a decision by the information commissioner regarding uh, giving me access to documents for the business case for RoboDebt. Um, so I'm wow. currently... Wow, that's that, a whole thing. Yeah, I'm waiting through the process. So that's been almost five years since I first made that request. Uh, so I am planning on getting a cake made uh, in January <laughs> or February, whenever the anniversary date is. So uh, we'll have a little five-year anniversary birthday party type thing for that FOI request. That reminds me that someone did that recently with an FOI request that was in the system. They, they sent the FOI officer a birthday they card did. That's, to celebrate. That's where I got the idea. The I think they sent, yeah, they sent them lovely. a cake or something as a bit of a yes. hurry up. Um, I'm sending a cake to Services Australia is unlikely to uh, change their mind, So uh, and I don't want to give them a free cake. Because they're a pack of cunts. Well, yes, as I said, um, Trent Yarwood uh, did send in quite a few trigger words. He's also been quite liberal about what the word word means. There are three more from him, one from Drew, and then I'd, I'd love to take one from the glass jar of transparency, but then you might have a life uh to to have okay first one from trent yarwood take your security seriously i mean well obviously um i i what, why take security non-seriously um yeah so i this phrase is excellent because it always gets trotted uh, trotted out after we have just received concrete proof that they did not in fact take security seriously and are uh, trying to pretend that we did um i think it's one of my rules of it um, you, you can generally rely on people whenever I, I have a search um, over the internet as well that that pings me every time there's news about saying take security seriously and uh, sometimes the articles I get are, are really quite funny. Uh, this is this is the whole when there has been a data breach and yes. and the things that it says of course of we take security seriously. Mm. Uh, it was a sophisticated attack. Yes, there are always sophisticated attacks. Yes, there are no unsophisticated attacks. 
uh, so like privacy policies always start, we value your privacy. Yes, that's that's why and we have expended all- so much time and effort making sure that you don't have any. Yes. Okay. That is. That, I like the idea of having that as a search running regularly to to see where that when that comes up. It it comes up alarmingly often, which is <laughs> which is not generally a good thing. Uh, look, another one here. Oh, Trent, I hope he feels he's getting value for money here because we're powering through them. But ah, Trent, you you know where to find me. Send a complaint. Digital health. This is not the health of your fingers. Oh, I rats. assume. My digital health is excellent at the moment. Um, yeah. Well, all of my fingers mine, are still attached, um, despite well, some of my I best mean, efforts. Yeah. So that's well. Yes, that's been good. mine, mine, mine are kind of a bit beaten up at the moment. My nails are a bit shoddy. I did cut my thumb the other day. Mm. I'll put a photo on the podcast website. This is this is not the digital health. I'm sure that uh, the alleged Doctor Trent Yarwood <laughs> is thinking of. However. <laughs> I just said the Dr. Trent Yarwood for a doctor he is. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> our digital health, yeah. Well, look, health isn't digital, but we, we use computers for a lot of things now. Um, many mm. people believe this was a mistake. Uh, so, yes. yeah, look, it, it we're using it for much more information. Health information is really um, private and important to people, and we should you know, take our security seriously. Uh, our efforts to do so, however, have not been tremendous, really. Um, I think, I'll, I'll, again, I'll have to look this up and you can put a link uh, in, in the show notes, but uh, every year the data breaches that we get, um, the health, uh, any department or agency or health-related service is far and away the one that is the worst. They have the most data breaches every year and have uh, can, every six months when the report comes out, for a great deal of time, um, it's it's a huge problem. And the third trigger word from Trent Yarwood is one that you threw into the pod a few weeks ago from yourself, and now we're throwing it back at you. Hexagon. Hexagons are the bestagons. Um, they're they're an excellent shape. I like bees. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, who doesn't like bees? Um, well, people who suffer anaphylactic shock. Obviously. Well, you can still admire bees from afar. Um, we have some that sort of wander around the garden from time to time. They're just they're quite nice to watch. Um, and the ones that come in here are Australian native bees. They don't have stings. Excellent. They just live in the scrubland and Even fly inside. They're lovely things. Yeah. Um, yeah, bees are just nice things. Um, yeah, so hexagons, I, ju- I just like the shape. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm a fan of the cyber hexagon. Um, whenever there are cybers, I think you mentioned this on the pod the uh, a few episodes ago. It's like, yeah, hexagons are always present whenever there is um, excellent cybering occurring. Um, that's how you it know is. that I it's mean, technic. It used, it's true. It used to be the the standard thing was the Matrix movie style descending, glowing Japanese text. Yes. Which, because those movies go back, what, the first one was 20-ish years ago or something. Yes, Perhaps I rewatched more. it recently. Um, it, uh, it holds is it up. still as shit as I thought? Nah, it's good. What? It's fine. It's not. It's rubbish. Nah, it's fine. It's mass entertainment. So it's okay for other people to like things. No, I, I agree. It is perfectly okay for other people to like things, and I'm, I'm happy for them to enjoy things I, that I myself do not enjoy, mm. like a rugby grand final, for instance. Mm. I think that's perfectly fine. But not if it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't have to watch it still. 
Oh, I won't. Don't trust me. I fucking will. Why? Well, there you go. Um, As I said last time, mm. yes, hexagons. There's a hexagonal-shaped cloud on the north pole of Saturn. Yes. Uh, hex- hexagons stack neatly in all sorts of ways. They tile well, yeah. They're, um, mm-hmm. they're very efficient. And um, yes, mm-hmm. I like them. And some people, the more for carbon-based life forms, yes, they're important. The more observant people will have noticed one of my stickers, which has a danger hexagons, um, is actually a chemical hexagon. Uh, yes, it still is currently holding up his mouse mat, which has danger hexagons on it. Um, observant people will notice there is a particular organic compound, um, which is a very deliberate wink. I'm not going to tell you which one it is. I don't want to spoil the surprise, but you can look it up. Um, that is deliberate, and uh, yeah, it's it's rather good. Now I, I used the same design on something recently, which is I think I called it Hexagon Security, because yes. um, so, I don't know someone mentioned. I think it was oh that's right this this faux hologram thing on the Service Victoria app, um, which is easy to um, fake for creating new VAX certificates. Um, it's on the New South Wales Service New South Wales app. Yeah, it too. does some sort of animation-y thing. But, yeah, so it, someone said, oh, yes, it's much better than bank-grade security. It's triangle-grade security, which, you know, is clearly three <laughs> times better. Um, and then I thought, well, hang on, you know what's better than triangle security? Hexagon security. So there is merch if you, like me, enjoy hexagons. Well, let's plug the merch now. I was going to do it a bit later. Uh, it's uh, – look, there's a link. Fuck it. But Eigen Magic. Is the store on Red Redbubble, yes. isn't it? That's just the handle thing that I use for my non-work shenanigans. It's um, ah, oh, an in joke from back when I used to do discrete mathematics at university. Didn't really understand it at the time or now, but um, I like the you know the eigen sounds fun. Germans have good words for everything. I can't remember what eigen. Well, it means are. one. I know that. Or singular or something. But yeah, eigenvectors and eigenmatrices and whatnot. I didn't understand it at the time, still don't. Thank you, Trent Yarwood, for taking us down those rabbit holes. Hope you got your money's worth there. Drew, who is Demise on Twitter, has uh, particularly sent you the, the, the trigger phrase encryption control versus gun control. Right. Um, I did, Does this trigger things for you? Uh, well, I mean, yes, there's always people who want to control things. Um, it's a little bit like shield control versus gun control, but um, really, like in, controlling encryption is a lot like controlling underwear. Um, there are certain people who want you to wander <laughs> around constantly nude, and um, as entertaining as that might be, um, I don't. Uh, clothing is actually quite practical in a in a bunch of cases, particularly in the very hot or very very cold areas of of the world. Um, so you know, banning encryption is similar. It's like if you you aren't allowed to use encryption and you you take yourself into the cyber version of Antarctica, um, you'll freeze your bollocks off. Where is this cyber Antarctica? Oh, probably in Russia somewhere. I think at the moment, wouldn't it be? Mm. Well, it's summer over there. Is it summer in Siberia? Autumn, yeah. does, does Siberia get summer? I suppose it does now, what with global warming. They've had an awful lot of summer recently. Yeah, it's probably not what that's we, the really problem. Want. That's a, that's a big problem. Yes. Well, so we we need more cyber Antarctica then. Cyber tundra. No, we don't cyber tundra. Cyber Arctic's probably better because then there would be bears. I don't know. Or you know, maybe we need cyber penguins. <sighs> Linux. Cyber penguins is Linux. The Linux yes. operating well, system. Let's not encourage them. 
I say this as someone who is coming to you from Linux on the desktop, because I'm one of those weird nutters who actually does this. Yes, yes. Justin was struggling a little bit at the beginning of this to get the sound working on Linux. That is such an old joke, I know, but it is always true. Yes, it I, is always true. <laughs> it's working again now, but yes, it needed to be prodded a few times because computers are terrible. They are. We should throw them all into the sea. Yes. Does that really answer Drew's trigger question? Encryption I think? control versus gun control. Um. Well, encryption is it's, it is no. Well, no, but it's in a way like yes, encryption is shield is a shield. Oh. We we don't have shield control laws that prevent you from being able to defend yourself from other people. We we well, there, there are some with when you passive, go into a, with passive defenses. Yeah, passive defenses. Yeah. Um, there are some when you go into a protest, they're very keen on you not being able to defend yourself from the people with batons. So, you know, they often say that you're not allowed to take umbrellas or um, or shields and so on because you look like you might be going to a riot. Um, but, you know, gun control, yes, because you can affect other people other than yourself with bodily harm from a long way away. It's very difficult to do that with a shield outside of certain Marvel movies. Now, I would like... To draw one from the glass jar of transparency, a trigger word. You up for that? Yeah, let's. There could, why be, not? There could be. There could be almost. You know me. I'm big I into mean, transparency. <laughs> that is. That I is. Can, I can in which tell, case, I can tell you for the listeners that yes, the glass jar of transparency is indeed a jar, and it is indeed transparent. And I'm showing my hand is empty as I put it in. It is. He is inserting his hand fully into the glass. There's an image that will stay yep. with me. Uh, like an inseminator into a cow. And Julia Drake Brockman has said merit. Merit. In the phrase on merit. Ah, on merit. Or maybe you could talk about merits more generally. I don't know. Merits. Um, well, somewhere around here I do actually have the book um, the Mer- on meritocracy or uh, I've forgotten the, the actual title. It's probably on a shelf behind me somewhere. Um Yes, I have read it. I mean, it was originally satire, um, pointing out that meritocracy is not a good thing. Um, yes, I mean, there's there's breathtaking amounts of merit around running the place at the moment, isn't there? Um, well, yeah, we've sort of skirted around the edge of it mm, for, for much of the first half of the pod. I think merit is an excellent thing that we should have more of. Meritocracy is ruled by people who have merit, but what what are the meritricious what things? what that is, yes. And it's, yeah, it is all about the dystopian vision um, is about how society gets controlled and stratified in, in a very science fiction-y sort of way, you know, very much like the, what is it, the Morlocks and the Eloy? Um, you get this stratification of, of society based on arbitrary rules that tend to be created by the people who are already in power. Funny that. It's interesting, though, that in the 1920s, and H.G. Wells was a big part of this, of, of the idea of, you know, the, the Council of Scientists running the world mm. after the horrors of World War I, mm. where they had, we had these ideas of a more scientific future. Now, the, the Germans, the Central Europeans, were showing how that would turn out to be quite terrible with, with movies like Metropolis, mm. where everything becomes the machine and we're measuring everything and the workers are regimented and so on, which is an irony given what happened in Germany a short time after that. Mm. Um, but, but certainly in, in very much in Britain and to a lesser extent the United States, there was this idea of the new age of science and reason 
it, would it, come through. It does. It, there, there is a certain appeal to it, and I admit that when I was younger, I, I think I understood that appeal a little more viscerally than I do now with more experience under my belt about what actually happens. Um, it, it's a nice idea, I think, we have that human beings can be rational and make better decisions rather than acting what feels somewhat arbitrarily. Um I, I think it was Heinlein who was, of course, has terribly problematic in various other ways. But um, one of his quotes is that um, that men uh, refuse to le- learn very much from history is one of his the greatest lessons that history has to teach. Um, yes, which I, I think is actually quite accurate. Um, yeah, look, the the idea of acting on scientific modelling and so on has been in people's minds quite a bit. And we, you know, science is pretty good, or the, the outcome of scientific inquiry is probably more important. But there's more than one way to do it. It's not just, you know, the Western colonial mindset about how science should be done, which tends to be quite extractive and colonial in its um in its way of ob- obtaining data. So there's, there's a lot of that going mm-hmm. on about, you know, consent is one of those things like, no, nah, we're not going to bother asking. We'll just take it and use it and then, you know, keep all of the spoils for ourselves, which sounds awfully familiar. Data mining is a giveaway even in its very yeah. day. But the, the data is this thing that exists and we will mine it, mm. which that line you hear so often that data is the new oil. Data is the newest. Yes, asbestos. and that's that's – yeah. I mean, the idea that it is like oil, that it just exists and we can use it um, and extract it and and process it. it, it sort of has the idea that, well, hang on, isn't this, this data is mine, it, as in belonging to me. Yes. Um, it's not yours. No. Uh, it's, a, it's a common good, perhaps you might say, if it's data about the world. It's not just this natural resource. But you just said then, yes, it's asbestos. Oh, that's a bit of a – that's a line I like to use to remind people that, you know, we used to think asbestos was good. You know, so, you know, data can be poisonous and, and problematic or it, you know, data is the new uranium. Um, it's useful in certain mm-hmm. conditions, but you have to be very careful with it, otherwise it will kill you. Um, you know, the, these are all sort of true. Data is not, not – all good. Um, a lot of data is noise. You know, Sturgeon's law, 90% of everything is crap. We should probably just throw a lot of this alleged data away. Um, mm. This, And I, I reject this idea, and because people love to reject things, so just, you can just say, I reject that, and apparently that, you know, there's nothing you can say <laughs> about that anymore. Um, yes. But I, I really... I reject the premise to your yes, question. Yes, I, I really don't like this, um, we just need more data idea this it's magical techno beans thinking where so if we just put enough data in a big pile um all our problems will be solved as i if i you look around and and look at how decisions are made it's not through lack of information or data there's a, a hell of a lot of manipulation goes on and stirring the data pile to until the answers you want to come out um and and this idea that a whole bunch of people will suddenly start making better decisions because we give them more data i think is is nonsense <laughs> what we are getting though is we are putting uh machinery and computers as a, as a kind of uh, to as an intermediary to uh to ethics wash what we can do so it's the computer making the decision not we the humans so if something goes wrong then no one is no one is to blame and we can't send anyone to jail. 
this view kind of lines up a lot with something I wrote some years ago, and I can't remember the exact title off the top of my head, but it was where I, I said that that big data was a dangerous cult and people should be sent off to re-education camps. Um, well, then they'd just get re-educated to call it um, AI and machine learning, which is um, ironically <laughs> what seems to have occurred. So it looks like they followed your advice still. Thank you. We can blame you for Excellent. that. And thank you, Julia Drake-Brockman, for triggering that conversation. I should say the idea of trigger words is just to trigger a conversation. We may not directly address the word, but I think there were things there that needed to be said. I have decided... Uh, just recently that each episode of the podcast I should recommend another podcast you should listen to and uh, one that I've been enjoying a lot lately and going back through the back catalogue is Off Menu, which is a food podcast from uh, British comedians Ed Gamble and James Acaster, who are very good friends. They've, They've shared houses on occasions, et cetera, in the past and whatever, and they still go on holidays together. The premise of the podcast uh, is that you are invited to your dream restaurant or the dream restaurant and you have to select a menu, which is uh, your dream menu, and then discuss it, explain your decisions. And they go for about an hour chatting about things and go on wonderful digressions. Um, Absolutely fantastic because they're both excellent conversationalists and their guests are usually comedians or actors or someone else who can go well. To give you um, a a brief example, there were a few weeks ago there was uh, an episode uh, with actor Miriam Margulies, uh, who people may know from being the auntie in Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries and she's got a travel show on Australian television and things. A remarkable woman. Uh, Here is just a little bit where uh, she's explaining her rules for life. My rule is that I never make anything. I get people to make it for me. I'm not a cook. So anything has to be ordered in or, or brought in by friends. That's a very good rule. When, when did you set yourself that rule, Miriam? I think when I was born, probably. <laughs> I think it was set down in the book <laughs> from a very early age. I have never been a cook. I can cook some things, but I won't. I don't like cooking. I like other people to cook for me. Are there any other top Miriam rules that we need to know about, your rules for life that you always stick to? Oh, yes. Um, I mean, generally speaking, tell the truth, never let the sun set on a quarrel, and never be fucked up the bum, because that's something that I have (laughs) never done. I bet you can't say that. (laughs) Now, now when when you asked us, when you said, I do hope this conversation doesn't just... Isn't all below the waist? <laughs> were you talking to us during that bit, or were you talking to yourself? <laughs> because since then, Miriam, you've farted and said, The thing is, boys, that thoughts suddenly occur to me. They just pop yes. into my head. You know that. You're you're stand-up comedian, so you know what that's exactly, like. Yeah. It's the same with me. I, I'm a sit-down comedian, I suppose. I want to be amusing. Uh-huh. But I don't. I haven't made a living uh, as you have doing that. So it just popped into my head, and that's why I said it. 
Quite right. Always follow these, those instincts, I think, Miriam. I think <laughs> you've always got to follow I those will. instincts. I yeah. will. <laughs> uh, the wonderful Miriam Margulies uh, there <laughs> <laughs> with some unexpected advice, that, uh, that podcast off-menu. It's fabulous. Unexpected advice is the best advice. Yes. Yes. Uh, Justin, have you got a podcast recommendation um, for us? I, I probably have a couple. Um, I don't actually have sure. a lot of time uh, for listening to podcasts, sadly, um, uh, these days, but I, I do listen to the odd one from time to time. Um, I've been enjoying uh, Sammy Shah's News Weekly, um, giving me a quick oh, okay. burst of satire, which is which is quite excellent. I recommend that. Um, Queens of the Drone Age, uh, which is a tech podcast. It's general tech stuff, but I enjoy the... The banter and the um, the camaraderie between the hosts it um, it makes it quite interesting. I've learned a few things about you know just general tech consumery things that I don't really follow um, closely. And um, another one that's that's just a bit of fun for weekends uh, again because I, I enjoy the banter of the hosts is uh, one called Drunk Women Solving Crime. Oh yes, which is yes. a um, yeah. I, it might have actually <laughs> been you who recommended it to me um, on the on the pod. Yeah, so I I. I have given it a listen, and it's it's just good background weekend kind of lazing about listening or or having on in the background while you're doing housework sort of thing. It's yeah, it's good fun. Exactly for me, it is is three comedians. Uh, they're all in the UK, but one's British, one's uh, American, and one's Australian of origin. And they have a guest who's always a, a, another woman. And it, it's, yeah, it's another the fucking true crime podcast, but it is what I said. They are drunk and one of them is leading them through a true crime story and they are asked to guess certain aspects at things like, you know, on the basis of the story so far, when do you think this happened? Or yeah. when she got home, the husband said this, so what did she then do? It's very... Very funny, drunk women solving crime. Yes, that's one of my must listens. Like immediately when it comes out, that is fabulous. Now to wrap, Justin, mm. we must plug your things. We have plugged the Eigen Magic stickers and mouse mats and t-shirts and things. Mm. That's lovely. Do we want to plug the serious business, Pivot9? Oh, I can. I mean, if you are a startup oriented and want advice on marketing and strategy and stuff, um, we'll happily help you. And I, I do a bunch of analyst work, but unless you you know run marketing for a, a large international technology firm targeting enterprises, then we're probably not going – there's probably not probably much we not can do for you. For you. <laughs> um, yes. But if you are, yeah, feel free to, to give us a give us a call and we'll happily talk to you. And where else can we find you? You have a column in Forbes, don't you? Oh, occasionally, yes. I, I do write some stuff for there um, now and then. Um, but that's, again, that's enterprise tech stuff. Um, that's mm. that's all I really put in there. Um, where do you, mostly Twitter or EFA bits and pieces. Um, I should plug Electronic Frontiers Australia. Do come and join. Yes, and, you should. You know, donate some money or better, better than money actually would be time. Um, come and learn how to write policy okay. and and talk to government. That would that would be rather good. Um yeah, help help the few exciting. of us who are doing it to not have to do quite so much ourselves. That's true, actually. If you the kind of look, it's better than shouting on Twitter and making up hashtags. Um, well, look, shouting on Twitter is good fun, but uh, well, it is. Yes. Yeah, it's it's possibly part of, not part of my brand. It's not that productive in terms of actually changing the world. So, if you would like to actually make some sort of change occur. Um, you will have to, well, maybe not get it. You probably don't even have to get up off your bottom. You can use your keyboard just mm. in a slightly different app. Um, 
like and called a word processor, and uh, then that <sighs> will help us. Some horrible mental imagery just flipped through. That's possibly more about me than about you. So in terms of changing the world, I'm going to ask this of everyone on the pod from now until the relevant date. Who's going to win the next federal election? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming for the moment it will not happen before the end of 2021. Uh, I, I would suggest that that is probably unlikely, yes, given we are running out of available dates that don't clash yes. with Christmas. Yes. So who's going to win? Oh, some bunch of politicians who are going to look after themselves, um, I guess. And I mean, at this point... I mean, I was hoping to, to narrow, narrow, it, narrow down. it down well, to I mean, one. I think we all are, but but uh, unfortunately, you know, um, well, it's it's either going to be um, the the coalition or the coalition light. Um, I think will win. Uh, so it's hard to put put much between them on on many issues. Look, I'd I'd say uh, I'd like it to be Labor, just because I'd like to have a better class of enemy. Um, <laughs> I can I can yeah. do something with that. Um, more of the coalition. It's like, well, we already know what that looks like. Um, uh, but look, the Labor is just so uninspiring, aren't they? It's it's difficult for you to be able to turn out. I don't know. I'd I'd say that the coalition are probably likely to lose because they just scraped through by the skin of their teeth last time. I don't think very much has changed, and most people don't pay that much attention. So. Um, the only thing that that's that last bit is a key the last factor, bit will of be yeah what labor does between now and the election if they hammer the coalition on all the failures of the last few years and that they've been in power so for so very very long and yet people's lives aren't measurably better that's what people will care about I think um, they won't care so much about the blow by blow they'll just look at their lives at the moment and decide well do we think it's about time to give the other mob a go Um I think that's probably more likely than not at the moment, but it's a, it's going to be a close one. The betting market would agree with you at the moment. On the weekend, it changed over. The odds are very slightly in favour of a Labor win. Uh, this is at Sportsbet, where they're offering for Labor win a dollar eighty-five and for a Coalition win a dollar ninety. Right, you can't get much closer than that. And any other party win fifty one dollars. I'd put that further out. But I see. Uh, well, I don't know which which yeah. way is Crown Casino betting. Ooh. There's some interesting thoughts there. My prediction at this stage is it'll be the coalition back in by another wafer-thin margin mm. because although people will have various things they're cranky about, Labor will fail to offer some sort of coherent argument as to why they should get it. Mm. And uh, Clive Palmer put in $80 million last time to destroy Labor's chances with the death tax lie, which the coalition could then riff off even though it wasn't true. Mm. Well, now Clive Palmer is about the freedoms and he has a figurehead in Craig Kelly to lead the party uh, and that will guarantee it getting television attention because, you know, the man's a fucking crank, but yep. there we have it. Yes. It's, it's good television. Uh, and that will put us pretty much back where we are now. 
So we have That's my prediction at this stage. Learned essentially nothing from the American experience uh, in recent years. Yep, that that feels about yep. right. Yep. Yep. And on that happy note, Justin Warren, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I think. Not entirely sure yeah. now. No, I think. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I think it's all right. Very quickly, before we wrap up, that conversation was recorded on Wednesday, the 27th of October. It is now Saturday, the 30th of October, and the betting odds have flipped around. As I just said in the recording, on Wednesday, the odds were $1.85 for Labor to win, $1.90 for the Coalition to win. That's now... At uh, 9.25pm on Saturday night, the $1.85 is a coalition win and a $1.95 to Labor. Uh, any other party forming government, $51. 50, uh, that's, yeah, they could pay out more than that because it's literally not going to happen. I will continue uh reporting those odds and the polls uh, each week uh, for the rest of this series. That's all the edict for now. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, you should go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip and empty your wallet. Uh, links to everything we mentioned on the website. And the next episode is with the wonderful Mark Humphreys. Get your brain inserts to me by Wednesday lunchtime. Until then, I'm still Garyan. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.